It's all agreed from Arsenal's side. I think it's just dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And I think many Arsenal fans and many people in the game will agree it's deserved after what he's contributed over the last couple of seasons. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Chris Wheatley Show, National World's brand new weekly podcast that aims to keep you in the know on all things Premier League. I'm your host, Jason Jones, and I'm joined as always by Chris Wheatley, as well as London World's Ragman Osman. We'll be discussing all sorts of things as the season progresses, but this week we take a closer look at Antonio Conte's future at Tottenham, Arsenal's win over Crystal Palace, and as always, we'll be putting our listening questions to Chris as well. So without further ado, Ragman, welcome to the pod. Nice to have you on, mate. Um, I mean, we'll start with Tottenham and Antonio Conte because they were really some incendiary comments that he came out with uh, over the past few days, haven't they? Yeah, no, it's been um, really crazy last few days and everything just went kind of head on in, in the end. And yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a video of Antonio already on a Ryanair flight heading back to Italy. And there was a report late last night that he might have, lost his job in, in the end. What we do know, though, from from London World is that that hasn't happened yet. And there, there have been series of meetings from from when that happened. Because Antonio, that if, if you've worked quite closely with Antonio, you'd understand that sometimes he struggles a bit with English. And sometimes what he has in mind is not exactly what comes out. And he's quite an emotional person. And there's a part of the quotes and the things that he were. I wasn't in that presser, but some of my colleagues were then. The feeling of the feedback I got from the presser was that he wasn't even having a go at the board. He was. He, he, there was a quote where he says that for 20 years they haven't won anything, but the owner has been here. They've changed managers, and everybody has a go at them, but they never mentioned the players. And even before Antonio said that, I did ask Christian Stellini, his assistant, when Antonio was unwell and back in Italy, that they've worked together for a very long time and they've won a lot together. But if it's quite difficult for them to win in, in Tottenham. And he also made similar comments about the culture. And he even actually went deeper than Antonio, but in a very calmer way, where he said that the culture has to change from the security guy to the receptionist and the way the club is positioned. It's funny because just two days before, I was at the presser for Head of Southampton and I asked Antonio a similar question about he winning an Inter and winning at Juventus and quite no winning at Tottenham. And he made similar comments, but in a calmer way, about the difficulties of not winning at Tottenham and, and why it's kind of hard because it's, 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 it's a whole reset of culture. It's a deliberate attempt. It's a daily process. And it's, it's, it's a combination of the players you have and their mindset and how they go about their daily activities. And that's what embeds the culture. And in, in, cl- in clubs like Chelsea and Real Madrid and maybe Barcelona or Bayern Munich, this culture is what everybody accepts. Nothing but the best. But at Tottenham, for some reason, it's quite really acceptable that players then. And he made a really brilliant point, which really resonated with me. He said that, most people don't want to work under pressure or they're just used to when when conditions are fine and they just like show up, do the minimum and then they're bounced off. But you don't win anything with such culture, which for me was quite interesting. And two days after when his team threw away a 3-1 
lead to draw 33. He re-echoed those things. And maybe the manner in which he said them wouldn't have been well for the fans and and all that. But he, he did really care about the job. He did really care about Tottenham. I mean, some people have read people say, oh, he's trying to save himself. Of course, he's trying to save himself. But some of the things also he said that might have or that might cost him his job were really, really important for the club going forward. And I feel generally that he will walk away because he's got two two months left on his contract and he hasn't shown any indication of wanting to extend it beyond the season. And any time you ask him, he would say, oh, uh, the Champions League, it's important. So maybe if they get the Champions League, so many things change and all. But I personally don't think it will change. And I, I, I think that in the end, it will be a big loss for both Tottenham and himself that, this hasn't worked because when he did walk through the door, there was a certain lifted expectation. Raman, you've already mentioned that Paolo Fonseca could be one of the replacements. Um, what are you hearing on who could replace Conte? Yeah, so it's 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 at this moment it's quite strange. So the the main option they are looking at now it's possibly maybe to before Southampton it was just to keep Antonio till the end of the season. But in the summer, they would make a change. Now, after Southampton, there's been a lot of development. One of them meaning that they could keep Ryan Mason on as temporary. Ryan won four of his six games. He was in charge when Jose Mourinho left. So quite really interesting if they go that road. There's another option that came that maybe they could just put Antonio on gardening leave so they don't have to pay him a lot of money. He's got two months left. Don't show up to work. They pay him his two months and he walks away. Then there's the cry from the fans who want Mauricio Pochettino. Um, Poch, easily the most successful Tottenham manager in recent history, took them to the Champions League final in 2019, asked for them to to re, re like to rejig the club, more signing. He didn't get that. Six months after taking them to the Champions League final, he got sacked. They brought in Mourinho, they brought in Nuno, it didn't work. And then... The Fonseca issue was quite really interesting because when Spurs were looking for a manager that summer, they wanted Fonseca and he wanted to come. Then they employed a football director in Fabio Paratici and Paratici changed everything. And this Fonseca says in an interview that he was very close to joining Tottenham and last minute they decided to change. And guess who they went for? They went for Nuno Espirito Santo. And Nuno didn't even last six months and lost his job. And Antonio, who had rejected the job, in that summer ended up coming back to take the job. So it's a whole lot of work. And I and I say this because I think that the next the next Spurs boss will be quite really interesting in so many ways because even Fabi Paratici, who is the director of football's long-term future at the club, is up in there. He's been banned in Italian football. He's appealing it. If he loses the appeal, it might extend to the whole of Europe. So you can't have a director of football who how do I say he's been banned from dealing with football in Italy and maybe potentially the entire of Europe. So that will be a game changer at the club, if I should if I should put it in that way. So they found themselves in a really like caged way and they need to wriggle their way out of it. But yeah, it's it's Tottenham need a proper reset in so many ways. And I think that the next few days will give us a a picture of where they're heading to. And just a quick word as well, Robin, on Crystal Palace. Obviously, this morning, we're recording this on Monday, they've reappointed Roy Hodgson, replacing uh, Patrick Vieira, who lost his job. 
the end of last week. I mean, you can just give us a few thoughts on that, perhaps. Well, that's quite a really big call again from Steve Parrish. Um, it's it. I feel personally like it's it's just wasted two years of their uh, their life. So, one of the main reasons why Palace employed Vieira was to create an environment where they link their academy to their first team because Palace have built this new Grade One academy in South London, and the idea was to be to become the 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 best place for young players to go and nurture their talents and players like Callum Hudson or the, even Jordan Sancho and co came from South London, but they had their first training of football through different places like Cobham, Chelsea and all that. So they wanted to reposition themselves in a very strategic way where all the young people will be attracted in coming through a palace. And part of the reason was that so they could, they could play a brand of football that makes young people want to be part of that. And that was the reason behind giving Patrick Vieira the job. And I have to say, even Vieira was not their first choice. So they had a couple of names on the list and they didn't get them in the end. Nuno was part of that list, actually. And they didn't get it. They took on Vieira, who was quite really good in the first year. And the football was good. They moved away from what Roy used to do. And with all due respect to Roy, he was quite really good with, with keeping them in the Premier League. And he's part of the reason why Parish boasts that He's kept a team like Palace in the Premier League for 10 consecutive years, credit to him. But the next stage was moving it to an attractive brand, and that's where Vieira came in. For almost 18 months, they sacked Vieira at the first hurdle of a challenge because the first season was quite special. In the history of the Premier League, Palace have the highest point tally they've ever had was 49. Last season, Vieira got 48, one shot of that. They hadn't been to Wembley in five years. Vieira took them to Wembley to the FA Cup semi-final where they lost to Chelsea. That was also really good. Now, this is what really cracked them. They had a really solid try of midfield that was really good to them. Conor Gallagher was there from Chelsea on loan. Then they had the experience of James Makata cementing Chico Kuyate. Kuyate left in the summer. Conor went back to Chelsea and James Makata got injured. So that whole midfield that they played with last season was not there. What they did do was go to France to bring in a midfielder called um, Cheikh Dakori, who is quite really good. But you'd agree that coming into the Premier League, some people take time to adapt. And what it also meant is that Vieira's continuity wasn't there. They weren't winning games. And at some point, they had to make a decision and they've decided to go back to Roy, who, with all due respect... I'm telling you, it's it's going to be a very big challenge for him to to actually turn things around completely. And given that even his last job at Watford was quite really difficult and Watford ended up going down. So interesting days in South London. Um, but you, again, if I'm being a football director, I'm quite really... How do I say this? I'm, I can understand why Parish is... Because the form wasn't good. They weren't winning games in, in the league. And sometimes when this happens, you make... You make a decision devoid of emotions. Another really positive result for Arsenal at the weekend, a 4-1 win over Crystal Palace in the Premier League. Six consecutive wins now in the league for Mikel Arteta's men. Chris, we spoke a little while ago about uh, the blip that Arsenal endured. It, it would appear that they are firmly through the other side of that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think in terms of the, the games that Arsenal have left now, they've got 10 matches left. Um, until the end of the season and it's an absolute marathon now Arsenal taking 
every single game as a final. Mikel Arteta said that already. I think Arsenal fans are getting more and more excited as every game goes past. And the manner in which they beat Palace was pretty convincing. But I think as Rahman kind of alluded to um, previously, this is a, a team who are threatened with the, the possibility of relegation. Um, and Arsenal were expected to beat Crystal Palace, of course. And the, the tough games are going to come um, when they have to visit the Etihad at the end of next month. That's going to be a huge match, potentially title-defining for the Gunners. Um, but in terms of the game against Palace, a really comprehensive victory. Gabriel Martinelli and Bakayo Saka were the stars of the show uh, once again. Bakayo Saka, unbelievable. Um, we're going to be bringing you some exclusive updates on his future, his contract situation, uh, as a few of you have been asking about that. But yeah, great win for Arsenal. Eight points now at the top of the league table. Uh, they've extended their lead uh, over City. And um, yeah, City are playing catch-up at the moment. But when you look at the fixtures, I think you can see that there's uh, quite a lot of uh, difficult games to go for Arsenal. And I think um, there's certainly no complacency from Mikel Arteta's side. And, you know, as, as positive as the result was, very much the manner in which they won as well, wasn't it? You know, to go out and, and put in such a, a comprehensive display against the Palace side who, you know, let's not forget, have, have given bloody noses to the likes of City in, in title races before. And obviously they lost Patrick Vieira towards the end of last week. But, you know, to then come out and, and sometimes that can galvanise a side in, in, in the aftermath of a manager leaving. And this was never going to be a necessarily a straightforward game for Arsenal. Um but like you said before, just to, to go out and you know put four past them, it, it shows that Arsenal are really sort of gathering momentum at the moment. Yeah, it really does. I think as well, when you look at someone like Leandro Trossard, he's coming in January. We've spoken about him before, but I think he deserves a mention again. I think it's five assists now in nine games since he joined. So, you know, that 26 and a half million that Arsenal paid has already been paid off. Um, in terms of what he's contributed on the pitch. He's made an immediate impact. And I think Arsenal uh, are almost justified in the sense that they didn't get uh, Mikalo Mudrik over the line because Mudrik decided to join Chelsea instead. Um, I think the financial package was more attractive to him. Um, and in the end, it's actually worked out better for Arsenal. So I think Edu and Mikel Arteta are going to be quietly um, pleased with that one. But yeah, it's, it's great to see everyone on the pitch kind of combining and producing the goods. And uh, Trossard is certainly someone who is doing that week in, week out now. Just a word as well on uh, the head of recruitment situation at the Emirates, James Ellis stepping into that role. What can you sort of uh, tell us about that and, and what it'll mean for Arsenal going forward? Yeah, I mean, this was broken in the the Athletic yesterday. Um, I think the, the biggest takeaway from it is that it's a more formalisation of of working processes at the club. So uh, James Ellis, really highly respected uh, figure at Arsenal. Um, he was the, the head of the UK uh, scouting and recruitment over the past couple of years. And he's done obviously a great job when you look at the players they've signed, the likes of Ben White being uh, the standout player there. I know it was 50 million, but I think when you look at Ben White's performances this season, um, he's been one of the best players in the Premier League, if not in Europe, um, for the way he's kind of filled in at right-back and at centre-back at times. So, yeah, Jason Ito is going to become Arsenal's uh, assistant sporting director, uh, James Ellis to be the, the, the head of recruitment, but it doesn't really change too much. Um, as I said, it's more of a formalisation of the working processes, but both are highly respected, um, uh, and I, I think it's going to 
be great news for Arsenal, um, particularly uh, with a busy summer transfer window ahead. Now, as always, Chris, I've got a load of listener questions for you. Start with uh, something that you alluded to in the last section there. I've got a question from Daryl who's asking if there's any progress on the Saka and Saliba deals. Saying Saka seems sealed, but can you give us some sort of update on what's going on there? I think Daryl puts it in pretty good words there. Seems sealed and it is all but sealed. Bakayo Saka is expected to put pen to paper on that new long-term deal very shortly. It's all agreed from Saka's side. It's all agreed from Arsenal's side. I think it's just dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Uh, A nice British expression there for you. But yeah, I think it's very uh, just a matter of time before it's confirmed. Uh, Bakayo Saka is going to become Arsenal's highest paid player. And I think many Arsenal fans and many people in the game will agree it's deserved after what he's contributed over the last couple of seasons. Since making his first team debut under Unai Emery, Saka has become a key player for Arsenal. He's become one of the first names on the team sheet. So yes, Saka's bounced back from that Euro Championship penalty miss in the final. Since then, he's had a great World Cup. um, And yeah, I think many people would say he deserves to become Arsenal's highest paid player um, and everything that comes along with it. He's um, commercially a great asset for Arsenal. Um, There's lots of sponsors clamouring after him. He's got a boot deal with New Balance. So yeah, I think um, this is a player that is the future of English football and the future, if not the present, of Arsenal. Uh, And great news for everyone connected with Saka and the club. And anything on William Saliba? Any progress on his contract situation? Yes, Saliba, we're expecting him to sign a new long-term deal um, very soon. I think, again, it's just a matter of time before that is completed. Saliba wants to stay at the club, so it's no real surprise that he's going to put pen to paper. Um, I think at the moment he's on the, the treatment table, recovering from injury. But yeah, he's someone that Mikel Arteta really values. And it's funny because a lot of people, and including myself, didn't really expect him to be fast-tracked into the team in the way he was this season. But he was uh, a star in pre-season and he came into the team and he's now cemented that centre-back spot alongside Gabriel. So yeah, great news again for Arsenal, William Saliba and Bakayo Saka both expected to put pen to paper on new long-term deals. Saka all agreed and Saliba very close. Obviously, you mentioned there that he is currently sidelined through injury. You know, the weekend against Palace, Rob Holden came in at the centre of defence. Um, I've got a question here from Alex who's asking whether or not Saliba will be fit to feature in that game against Manchester City. Obviously, I've already said it's going to be potentially title-defining for the Gunners. And Alex is asking, if it's not Saliba, then who is going to handle, you know, I'll quote him verbatim here, that giant, Erling Haaland? That giant, indeed. He's uh, a man in form, isn't he, at the moment, Erling Haaland. And I think William Saliba is certainly the man you want on the pitch next to Gabriel to handle him. But I think there's certainly a, a long way before that game. April the 26th is when Arsenal travelled to Manchester City. They play that crucial game at the Etihad. There's an expectancy that William Saliba will be ready for that game. It's uh, a month away from being played. So I think there's plenty of time for for William Saliba to recover from his injury. But either way, Arsenal do have options there. Of course, Rob Holding showed exactly what he can do at the weekend. A really good performance, solid performance at the back uh, for Arsenal. Um, There's also the possibility that Ben White can play at centre-back. 
But Takahiro Tomiyasu, it does look like he is going to be out um, for long term um, after his injury at the weekend. Didn't look too good. Um, and there's an expectancy that he could be out for the rest of the season. We're still waiting for confirmation from the club. Um, but yeah, Tomiyasu's injury looks a lot worse than Saliba's does. I've got a question here from Chas who's asking where you think the club heads with their number nine situation, that sort of centre-forward position in the near future. Obviously, you know Gabriel Jesus signed in the summer, Eddie Nketi is on the books, Fuller and Balogun as well doing really well over in France. Uh, you know, Chas is asking, do you see them battling out for that position or do you see a situation where you know potentially Arsenal look to cash in on, on one of the younger players and, and sort of maybe look to sign a new player instead? I think Arsenal are definitely looking in the market actively for a number of players. And uh, there's the option there for, for a striker to come in in the summer. There's uh, quite a few names which have already been linked. Um, but yeah, I do think the likes of Eddie Nketiah and following Balogun, their futures are a little bit up in the air. Eddie Nketiah showing what he could do earlier in the season. He played quite a crucial part in uh, a lot of Arsenal's Premier League games. And in fact, if Arsenal do win the league, uh, I think they will owe... And Ketia, a bit of gratitude for his contributions. But in terms of being that elite striker who plays week in, week out and starts every single game, I think it's going to be Gabriel Jesus who is starting those games um, for Arsenal. Um, and it leaves the question what will happen to following Balogun in the summer? I don't think Arsenal have made a decision yet. We've spoken about that quite a few times in previous shows. And I think um, Balogun is, is someone who is open to a new challenge because there's a lot of teams who are interested in him. AC Milan being uh, the front runners there, they're really interested in signing Balogun. And I think there will be an approach this summer if the the green light is kind of given from Balogun's side. So no decision made there yet, but uh, I think it's definitely one to to look out for. Balogun, as you said, Jace, he's had a great season in uh, in France so far and um, his goals his goal tally is up there with the likes of Mbappe and and Messi so um, there's going to be a lot of clubs after him it's understandable but no decisions being made uh, just yet. Finally a question here from Baba who's asking do you think if Nicola Pepe obviously we know he's out on loan at the moment if he were to return to the club do you foresee a situation where he could potentially play his way into Mikel Arteta's plans and, and how would he sort of fit tactically for the Gunners? It's not impossible because there's no obligation in the the deal with Nice. But I I think it's very unlikely that Nicola Pepe will come back in the summer and challenge for a starting spot just because I don't think, as Baba has kind of alluded to, I don't think he fits in with the tactical setup um, that Mikel Arteta kind of deploys. I don't think he really fits into English football either. His game is more suited to, to French football. I think you've seen what he can do at Lille. He was uh, arguably one of the best players alongside Eden Hazard in their title winning season. And I think as well, he is someone who really probably just wants to to play week in, week out. And he's not going to get that at Arsenal. So I think they will look to, to cash in on Pepe this summer. Um, the only question really is about the fee. They bought him for £72.5 million, albeit with staggered payments. But still, it's a, it's a huge amount of money. Um, so they're going to have to try and recruit, recruit some of that. That's all we've got time for in this week's show. Join us again next week when we'll be discussing all of the latest Premier League news and developments. In the meantime, follow all the latest sports news at www.nationalworld.com. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter at National World. 
Thanks to Chris. Thanks to Ratman. Thanks to you for listening. This show is produced by Mark Wilson.